0: Namaste, welcome to Colin Response Podcasts with Krishnadas, where he shares meaningful stories of his life on the path, of his Guru Maharaji, and integrating spiritual practice into our everyday lives. Colin Response Podcast is an offering of the Kirtan Mala Foundation. The foundation is dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba, a great spiritual teacher of India.
1: It's more like an ability to let go. Hi, everybody. Good to be with you again. It's getting cold and people are stuck inside, which makes it even harder to wade through the mud of the mind, of the thoughts. It's a good time to practice, and it's just too easy to be swept away by the the tides of mental bullshit and the stuff that goes on and on and on and on and the the circular obsessive thinking that goes on all the time. Have to make an effort to release ourselves from that. And when it's so intense like this, it's almost easier because it's so apparent how out of control we are. And actually we're always out of control, but we can be aware by remembering to look And remembering to remember. That's all you can do. You can't transform yourself. You can't move to another planet. You know, all we can do is bow to the endless flow of nonsense that goes through our heads and practice letting go of it. That's all. That will change the way we live inside of our lives. And that's what all the practices are about, ultimately. Every path leads to the same goal because the goal is reality. And that's what lives within us as our own true being. So just to continue to pay attention, to continue to remember, to let go As the day goes on, you know, every time you just remember, just release for a minute. You know, even in the middle of something you're doing, just take a breath or two. And let
2: it be. I am so, so pleased to be here today. Thank you for this opportunity. Okay. I'm from Maryland and found you, I would say, actually, because of this situation that we're under. Home and tinkering around with Ram Das, and I found you singing a uh, uh-huh. piece of his heart as big as wide as the world. And I just was completely enamored.
1: Yeah. Most people find me by mistake.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was, but a beautiful mistake.
1: Yeah, Maharaja trips them and they fall in it. That's what happens. Yeah. Oh,
2: that's great. That's really great. Well, the thing I wanted to ask you about is this notion of surrender. Mm-hmm. And I feel for me sometimes we can distinguish it as surrender. It's almost like a physical experience, like a relaxing, like a, like you say, you know, giving it up, letting it go. Sure. And you also speak about finding, I, I don't know, I can't think of how you say it right now, but, you know, yourself inside. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if those two things are similar in some way.
1: There was a great saying in India not too long ago named Ramana Maharshi. And uh, he lived in South India, and uh, when he was a young boy, no actually not that young, he was probably 16, he he stayed home from school one day because he was feeling a little sick. And uh, he felt he was going to die. And he was perfectly healthy, but he felt, I'm going to die. And for some reason, it didn't upset him. He just said, well, what's this going to be like? And he laid down on the floor of the, he was alone in the house. He laid down on the floor and he clenched up his body and just wanted to see what what not breathing would be like. And you know, what if the body becomes like rigor mortis and, and what actually was he, what was happening is actually his consciousness was leaving the body and leaving the physical plane. And he became fully enlightened in that moment, 16-year-old boy, without ever doing any sadhana in this life. Of course, in previous lives, he'd done incredible amounts of practice, but and in that moment, he was completely enlightened, and he never, 50 years later, he would say, my, my state of mind had never wavered from that moment to this. He's always, from that moment on, he was completely immersed in oneness, in the one, in reality. He, was, he became fully enlightened, what they call becoming a jnani. <clears throat> and, and people came, and he wa- so he, wand- he went back to school. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but he kind of, obviously, he didn't fit anymore. And after a few days, he, his brother had given him some money to pay a fee at the school for him. For, and so he writes a note to his family, he said, this is leaving, don't bother to search for it. P.S. I owe you three rupees or something like that. <laughs> and he wandered off, he didn't know where he was going, really. And he wound up at the foot of this sacred hill called Arunachala in a town called Tiruvannamalai. And at first he sat, there was an a ancient temple there at the foot of the hill. He sat around at the temple, but people were bothering him because he was just immersed in samadhi. He was just gone, you know, just... And so then he found underneath the temple like an like a area that was dug out. And he just went down in there and he just sat there with scorpions stinging him and snakes going over him and ants eating his body for years he just stayed in there and people began to bring him little bits of the pujari of the temple started to bring him bits of food and stuff like that and put it in his mouth because he wouldn't communicate or move. And finally he just uh, you know everybody started to recognize him as not just like a crazy kid but uh, a great being. and he kind of moved up the hill, and, it, and finally later when he got older, he came down from the hill and an ashram was started around him. All the time he's just being, he's not doing anything, you know, he's just, and he would, he would talk and he, he, his, he didn't talk much, but when he was asked a question, he would respond usually, usually with words, sometimes with words, sometimes without. But whatever he said was so dynamic, and so absolutely clear and concise and right on. It's extraordinary to read his stuff, which was collected by other people because he didn't write down anything He very, and he didn't collect his things. He didn't give lectures, nothing. He just was being. So there's so many great things. Here's one thing about surrender. Now, maybe this takes a little bit of suspension of disbelief, but... Let me just read you this. The ordainer controls the fate of souls in accordance with their prarabdha karma, which is the amount of karma to be worked out in this life. It's not all your karmas, it's just a little bit of karma that this life is about to work out. Whatever is destined not to happen will not happen. Try as you may. Whatever is destined to happen will happen. Do what you may to prevent it. This is certain. The best course, therefore, is to remain in silence. And by silence, he means being, presence, reality. What's underneath the space around all our thoughts and emotions and stories, which we believe, all that stuff, all the time. I'm, I'm who I am. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. I know what my people are here. I know my, who, what my house is and all this stuff. Maybe, but it's the space around all that. So the point of a surrender is you can't control or change what you've done in the past and what's happened in the past. And the future is not here yet. So there's nothing to do about that either. All we have is now and how we live in this moment is, is where we find what our so-called work is. Who do we think we are? How, where, where are our places that we're stuck and we judge ourselves and others? Where's our greed? Where's our shame? Where's our fear? Where's our anxiety? Where's our selfishness? All that stuff. That's what we have right now. Mm. Now, how do we live with that? How do we deal with that? There's many, there's two, Ramana Maharshi said there's two ways to deal with that. One way is to ask wh- who is experiencing all this and question, who am I? You know, I'm experiencing this. Okay, well, who am I? Well, I'm, I'm me. Well, who said that? Who's thinking that? Well, I am. What is, who is that I? It's a way of kind of backing into way back in. But the other way is to accept it as it is.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah. And for, uh, for devotees or people who are uh, attracted to the path of devotion, you could, you would say that everything in my life Is there to teach? Is there because it has to be there? And my attitude should be, what do I learn? What can I learn from all this? And so you accept it as teaching. So if you have a guru, you simply say, this is what my guru has left for me. And so you don't try to push it away or kill it or reject it or change it even, you try to just be with it and release, again, release. And that's what we're training ourselves when we chant. We simply repeat these sounds, which they call the names of God in India and the divine name, these sounds, and we pay attention. And when we notice we've been gone, we're already back, we pay attention again. And then we notice we're gone and we come back again and again and again and again and again, again. Yeah.
2: So your work is about what you just said, which is the chanting. So because my before you said that it's, thing. About, it's
1: hardly work. You know, I could be pumping gas. Well, this is just, you know
2: but you're yeah you're what you're expressing to to people yeah so before you said that thing about chanting my question was going to be well how do I remember to do that in the moment because I yeah. you know as a human being I get all wrapped up in how I'm feeling about something right yeah but then you but went don't,
1: yeah don't which, we
2: all yeah, we are yeah the
1: most all we all everybody ever does in this world is think about ourselves that's all we do
2: yeah, absolutely no question about it. Yeah. So, so you're suggesting then that the chanting gives me a, shall we, almost like an outlet for the not remembering. So, so if I'm in a situation where I'm not actually chanting, right? Yeah. And I get annoyed.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: For me to remember in that moment to do the releasing might happen, might not happen, but the remembering is very difficult for me.
1: Probably won't happen in that exact moment.
2: Right, exactly.
1: But I love that word annoyed. Oh. That's, that, that's my mom talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> but don't another way to think about it rather than an outlet is that it's an anchor, like in okay. a boat. Good. And the winds of thoughts and emotions blow that boat around all over the, the universe. So we drop an anchor and then boom, uh, it holds us within some radius. And it, it, without the anchor, we're just blown about all the time. So we drop that anchor and that's our practice. That allows us, gives us something to come back to. Without the anchor, we, we're just floating. Free fall and we, or floating, we have no, there's nothing to wake us up. So we, we put that anchor in. So that anchor is the practice, is the remembering, which we do in any way. You can sit, you can stand, you can walk, you can sing, whatever, it makes no difference. It's the repetition of the name that gradually but inevitably uncovers the deeper place within us. And as we do these practices, we remember more easily that we're lost. We, we recognize that we're lost more easily as the days go on. It's not, you don't, so you're chanting, right? Sri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai, Jai Ram. And then you spend 20 minutes on the shopping list for later in the day, right? And then you go, oh, shit, I can't believe I, I, I okay, Sri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai Ram. But here's the thing. Sri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai Ram, shopping list oh, how did that oh happen?
5: Mm.
1: You didn't do that. You were gone. You're in dreamland thinking about the shopping list and imagining walking through the aisles of uh, the supermarket virtually, right? With a mask. So you didn't do that. It happened as a result of practice. And also because that's your true nature is here. It's not somewhere else. It's not lost in dreamland, you're here, you're always here, but we forget, our stuff pulls us out of ourselves. So through, we cultivate the remembering of the name or the breath or whatever practice you do that you do with awareness, with paying attention. And then that movement, that releasing, happens under the radar, that's your your own soul, Shining out for a minute, and you're released from the thought. Or you could just say that thoughts and emotions have a certain amount of energy. And when that energy is dissipated, they're gone and you're back. They let go of you. So that's why they always say, do practice when you can. Because when the shit hits the fan, you know, you could say Ram Ram, but you're ready to kill somebody anyway. And there's nothing that's going to change that at that moment. And that's okay, but you keep doing the Ram Ram anyway, because every repetition of one of these names has incredible potential, just like a seed, tiny little seed can have a huge tree inside of it, right? And it's just a question of the right causes and conditions arising to, to let that seed grow and blossom and, and become a tree. So it's just the same with us. The seeds of the repetition of the name will come to fruition as the causes and conditions arise to allow it to blossom and the greatest cause and condition to allow it to blossom is more practice more remembering so it's a it's like a circle that feeds itself and gets deeper and deeper thank you so like I said, Ramana Maharshi talked about two ways mm-hmm. to, to move along the path. Either the, the path of jnana of wisdom, of, in, of self-inquiry, like who am I? And the path of devotion. Those are the two ways to reach the same situation. So he says, this is the path of devotion. Surrender to him or her, because that being is neither and both. Surrender to him and abide by his will. Whether he appears or vanishes, await his pleasure. If you ask him to do as you please, it is not surrender, but a command to him. For instance, change this. I don't like what's going on here. You know, take this away. Mm. So if you ask him to do as you please, it's not surrender, but a command to him. You cannot have him obey you and yet think that you have surrendered. He knows what is best, and when, and how to do it. Leave everything entirely to him. His is the burden. No longer do you have any cares. All your cares are his. Such is surrender. So this is, this is why they say surrender is not only the path, but the goal also.
4: Mm.
1: So, and it's not, it's not weakness. You're not surrendering because you've lost the battle. You're surrendering because you see how the battle's going to go.
2: Yeah.
1: Anyway. Mm. And you bow to that. And in the bowing and accepting it as his will, as the will, or see, you know, Maharaji could do anything. He could, he could heal the sick and raise the dead and probably whatever the other thing is too mm-hmm. and he did it all the time all the time 24 7 365 nothing but miracles and love and compassion but there were times when he didn't uh, he it seemed like he didn't change the karma of the situation and that's also action on his part by allowing something to to work out as it has to and then i you could say possibly throwing a whole lot of shit in on that fire to burn it all up right yeah so that when that karma is over a lot of other stuff has been burnt up as well i mean we had these experiences with him like for instance there was this couple named ed ed and chris who he named Sunanda and Sudama gave them Indian names and they wanted to get married. So they asked Maharaja to marry him, marry them. And he said, no, Krishna does will marry you. Ha! Which is why I never do marriages, so don't ask. <laughs> so he said, uh, so we, the next day we stood out in front of the Hanuman temple and we read from the Bible and okay, you're married. Good, however, Sometime after that, they left India and went back to New York. And over the years, we kind of lost track of them. Sunanda came down with cancer and she was fighting it for many years in every possible way, all kinds of therapies, everything. And Sudama actually developed, uh, needed a lung and a heart transplant And they had a son, too. And at one point, I was spending time with this young Baba in India, and we brought him to America. And uh, when we got to the house where he was going to stay, someone told him about Sudama. Sudama and Sunanda had divorced already, and they were living separately. So somebody told him about Sudama's sickness. So he said to me, he said, let's go. Tomorrow we'll go and visit him. So me and the Baba drove there in the morning and we rang the bell. He knew we were coming, but it took him 20 minutes to get to the door. He had to basically crawl on the floor because he couldn't breathe. He couldn't, there was no oxygen getting to his heart. Uh, uh, He opened the door and we went inside. The Baba sat on the couch and me and Sudama sat on the floor. And I sang Hanuman Chalisa and he was mouthing the words, because he couldn't. And we spent a little time there, and then we left. So that night, he called me, and he said that he felt like Maharaji had come back to him, and that his whole life, he felt his whole life was okay, and everything, you know, he was so happy, yeah. And the next morning, he was dead. Sunanda, uh, later that year, uh, uh, uh six months later, his son died of an overdose, accidental overdose of heroin. And six months after that, Sunanda finally uh, was, was died from the cancer. So within one year, all three of them were gone. The whole karmic package was gone. Now, I know Maharaji could have changed that. Mm. But I realized, or at least my belief is that when he didn't marry them way back, 20 years earlier, or how, how much, let me see, 70, maybe 20 years earlier, he, that was his way of doing something, of allowing those karmas to be worked out the way, the best possible way needed to work out for the for everybody involved. And who knows, but maybe he threw a whole bunch of other shit on there for them to help them out also. But he could have changed all that because he did that all the time. In India, you know, in India people don't have doctors. They, they go to Baba's, So at least in those days, you know, the doctors were very limited so they go to sadhus and saints and they say, Cure me, so the Baba gives them some ash and they get better. <laughs> that's and that's what Maharaji did all day long. People came asking for things all day long. Jobs, children, marriages that had no child, they come and pray to Baba, please give us a child. And he go, Where will I get one from? Get out of here. And then the next thing you know, they have a baby. So that so he could have done that. He could have changed that karma, kind of, but he didn't. And because these beings can only do what's best for us. They, they only have compassion and kindness. There's no, they can't not do what's best for you. And so I have to think that, that this was the best for the three of them because even though Jesse, their son hadn't even been conceived yet, he knew what was gonna happen. And yet he let it go the way it had to go because that would, have, because that was the best thing possible for all of them. Now that's a lot to digest, I know. And in fact, that story didn't make it into Chance of a Lifetime, the book I wrote, because the editor, I couldn't tell it in a way that the editor could understand it. So I figured, well, if I can't tell it, then I must not understand it myself, I'll take it out. <laughs> So I, I took it out. But that's a serious dose and that's a lot to digest. And it takes a tremendous amount of, of faith
6: yeah.
1: or suspension of disbelief, which is something that Westerners kind of have to do. We call that faith, but it's not really faith, but it's close as we can get for a while, you know. Yeah. All right. I, okay, maybe that's what you say. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, that's the point. So, uh, surrender happens by grace. And grace is something that happens by grace. (laughs) You can't make grace, you can't force grace to happen, but you can prepare yourself to hold the grace. Just like if you go out walking in the rain and you wanna catch some raindrops, you have to cup your hands so you can drink. Otherwise it just, so grace is always here, but we we don't know how to receive it. We're, we're too busy. Grace is our true natural state in a way. Mm-hmm. It's the being, it's, it's our soul, our atma, It's our natural state, but we're too busy not paying attention. So we drop that anchor and we just keep coming back. And every time we come back, it's, we may not realize it, but it's a little deeper. And those neural pathways in the brain get a little deeper. And they've proven that. The brain actually changes shape around meditative practices.
2: So thank you for that. Yeah. Expression of joy, and I love what you just said about preparing yourself for grace. I that that really um, did yeah. it for me. So, thank you.
1: Good, very good. Well, nice Thanks. talking to you. Thanks. Take care.
6: First of all, I wanted to thank you very, very much because last couple of weeks I was going on about my books and what to do when I die. And you were so kindly, so patiently directing me uh, towards myself. And you mentioned a book, which Ramana Maharshi used to keep under the hat. And I didn't write down the name of the Tamil poet. So I was a little ashamed about not really getting that. But then the most important was that instead of worrying about the external and that Clinking to wanting to control everything, including mm. what happens after I may leave mm. this body, uh-huh. is not the most important in the sadhana. In fact, it's not important at all. The most important I found from what you were kindly answering was to go to, you know, as Ramana, go inside and in the silence, which is a challenge for me because yeah. I have a childlike nature and a lot of unresolved uh, family karma. And if I may ask, if we have the time, I wanted to ask how to make the peace uh, with the family karma, with a parent who is unhappy, that's my dad, all his life pretty much. And yeah. in Encinitas, I asked similarly, and you mentioned your mom, that was not an easy relationship either. And when she, when she came to visit you in India, when you were waving at the airport, you kneel down and I got from that, that if we can not compliment, but let them feel, let them feel, you know, not judge, not blame. I mean, not this conflict, but let me give you a little background about my that. My mom died two, two months ago. And I have made great peace with her, doing 40 days of tarpana and actually having sweeter relationship now than when she was in her body. With my dad, he is alive. He's back in Prague. That's what I come from. Over the past 20 to 25 years, some people age and they melt in sweetness and they melt in wisdom. And you are a great example of this. And I really revere so many things about you, not just the way you listen, you answer, but the way you lighten the spirit. And so much evolution spiritually, just in you, it's inspiring for me. But with my dad, he would first of all, didn't tell me when my mother was sick, when she was. I had to go through calling every hospital in Prague and find out. And after that, he moved her from one hospital to another. Didn't tell me, I had to find out. And he would took her stuff when she was still alive. And Paki didn't let me chance to go through it. And he would, you know, took the money. These things happen. We all have to accept our karma. But part of me is uh, angry, of course, at him. Part of me is very compassionate and I'm afraid that if he dies tomorrow, I will not finish the business. I would either feel like a victim. There is some inheritance which could be coming to me or not coming to me. And I know that Dharma is the most important, but, but this peace in my heart, which I would love to have when my father goes or if I go before him, he's 86, This is a hard one because I have so much I resent about him and hard to accept. 62 years of abuse, verbal and physical, of me and my mom. And I understand why that has been happening and is happening. He even arranged for his funeral to be done by some kind of Russian neighbor. And I don't even know when my torment is over. I mean, it's a little unusual. I would love my father to, first of all, remember me differently or not to blame me, not to. So I know I have not control about his perception or his relationship with me. But for me to clear this karma of negativity, resentment, you know, which takes serenity. That's I would appreciate if you can shine the grace into that.
1: Well, nobody could do it except you. You can't change him and you can't change the past. And you, you have to find a way to release the anger from your heart and the pain. And one of the best ways to do that is the metta practice, M-E-T-T-A. Do it with sincerity and wholeheartedness. We don't see our parents as people, we see them as our parents. We don't know what they suffered as children. We don't know how their hearts were broken. We don't know the the love that they looked for and never found. We don't know, we don't know. All we know is how hard it is for us to change our own, clear out our own stuff from our own heart, how difficult must it be for people who have no awareness of spiritual practice at all or any understanding that might be another way to live in this world. So the burden is on us to free our parents from our anger and, and grief and, and hurt. And it's easy to have compassion for people you never met. You know, oh, I love everybody, I love everybody. But you know, when it comes to yourself and your parents, it's very difficult And that shows you that you really don't have compassion for anybody. If you can't have compassion for yourself and the people close to you, if we're still reactive, then we're just fooling ourselves in terms of having ultimate compassion. We don't have relative compassion, Mm
6: -hmm.
1: a little caring for people and kindness. It's a joke to think that we can expand that to include the whole universe because we don't have it. So just, I mean, you know, I I can't give you advice. All I can do is say that, you know, this is up to you to find a way to release the energy that's trapped between you, between who you both think you are. You think you're you and he thinks he's him. him, And in that drama, a lot of things happened. If you want your heart to open, you have to open it. Nobody can do it for you. Mm -hmm. And you have all the tools and all the understanding intellectually of what you could do. Now you just have to actually bring it into into today, into this life, now. Bring it out of your head and into your life. And we're all in the same boat, you know. Mm -hmm. And besides that, our parents are inside of us we're made up of them <laughs> we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them we wouldn't be here as we are with our physical body and probably even our emotions i always feel that uh, we learn we are programmed how to see ourselves by the way our parents see themselves not the way they see us necessarily that's just an extension of the way they see themselves. But the way they see themselves, the way they treat themselves, the way they live in the world, the way they're positioned in life, we absorb that and we take on the same position, the similar position. So much of our own stuff we got from them. And where did they get theirs from? From theirs, their parents. And where did they, get, it goes on till the beginning of karma. So there's nobody to blame. Because nobody's doing it to anybody, it's mechanical almost. It's karma's running out and running the show. Now is the moment where we can turn to face the wind and allow it to come over us without it knocking us down. This is the only time to do that right now, and no one can do it for us except ourselves.
6: Thank you. Could I say one more thing? He keeps saying, Oh, by the way. Me. Wait, wait, wait.
1: Ramana Maharshi didn't sleep with that book under his pillow, but he had it by his bed. And it was Namdev, N-A-M-D-E-V, poetry of Namdev. Namdev. Uh, And whether it's really true that he had the book by his bed or not, I'm not sure, but that's what I heard.
6: If I may, you mentioned something like this to I believe a young gentleman few months ago, and I listened to your satsang, not everyone, but as often as I do. So I reflected on what you said, but my dad keeps sometimes sending me 10, 12 texts a day within few minutes. And they could be all contradictory. They are putting down my dharma. They are putting down my thing. He could ask me about what I did 40 years ago. It's really making me very tired. It's hard to take in because it happens almost every day. And of course, I right now, cannot go, I cannot travel. And he's alone. My brother, my only brother is in prison. So I am tormented between being there and to still engage in this, or between what Patanjali would say, walk away. But my father is not evil, he's just- We don't know what
1: anybody would say. Don't don't say what Patanjali would say. Patanjali, when Patanjali was around, there were no texts.
6: No, but I was talking about the four types of relationship. Those Karuna, Maitri, Karuna, Mudita, Upekshanam. It's the Sutra which talks about that. But with my dad, how many more years the torment will happen because he lets me hope in one moment and in another not. And then I'm insulted like my mother was for 62 years. I'm
1: losing you here. I'm losing the question. What, What are you asking?
6: I am asking how can I change in me the perception? I try to visualize him as a little child, as an innocent child. And I feel what's happening, it's so uh, toxic that mm. part of me does not want to be engaged in that toxicity, practically speaking. And you know, then I you don't know,
1: want do you, Do you know that, uh, mm. do you know the phrase, uh, you can lead a horse to water, mm-hmm. but you can't make them drink?
6: Mm-hmm. Yes. If
1: they're not thirsty. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's getting to you is good work. Thank you. And, and not only that, your brother grew up in the same situation as you. So he's a part, he, his, his, the destruction of his heart is very similar to the destruction of your heart. Mm -hmm. So it's especially painful because you share the same abuse. And because of that abuse, you can't even open up to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's also, you know, if you just try to calm calm yourself down, that's all. Mm-hmm. You're reacting blindly and immediately without any uh, awareness at all, slow down. Mm-hmm. And if you can't handle it, block him, God damn it. Just block mm-hmm. him. Don't ever, you can block his texts. And you can say, look, I'm going to block you starting tomorrow if you keep on sending me this shit. I can't handle it. I'm not big enough to handle it. And uh, mm-hmm. it's hurtful and I'm I'm hurting. And uh, if you don't stop, I'm just going to block you. And that'll be that. Mm-hmm. But then again, you'll see you're doing the same thing your father did to you.
6: <laughs> yeah. When you mentioned it with a friend, which you said it was always late, the guy who was not getting sober. And eventually you said, you know, I'm done with you. And yeah. But it's hard with the father who introduced me to yoga when I was little and music, and so that is a great codependence. But thank you so much. This this is helpful, and I am very grateful. And I will be going more inside and softening and surrendering and chanting. Yeah, don't,
1: good. Don't try too hard, okay? Just relax. That's the thing. <laughs> okay.
6: All yes. right. Uh, thank you very, very much, and everybody else.
3: Take care. I was just wondering if you could offer some advice when we know on a very, very, very deep fundamental level that our thoughts are not real, that our thoughts are illusion, that our very thoughts are the source of suffering, and we can see them very, very clearly how it plays out within our daily lives, how it causes suffering for ourselves and for others yet we repeatedly get sucked into the whole melodrama and how to deal with the subsequent complete and utter desperation that falls out as a result of this.
1: Yeah. That's great. Lucky guy. You can see it all. But uh-huh. let me point out one thing. Yeah. Everything you just said is a thought.
2: True. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah.
1: Let go come back to the sound of the name.
2: Right, I get
1: you. Don't be the doer. You're not going to change. You can't transform yourself. You will be transformed by practice.
3: Sure, sure.
1: And don't get so attached to understanding it all. Understanding it all, quote, unquote, which, of course, we never can do anyway. That's just mental mental conceptual stuff that just keeps flowing. And you pick some things you you like to think Oh, you think this, oh this you think you're understanding, but you're just thinking about it
4: roger it's good yeah,
1: yeah. to it's good to see just like everything you described is accurate, of course, but what's the cure? Where's the medicine for that? It's in coming back it's in releasing the thoughts and coming back. practice and practice takes time and patience and okay. sincerity and Relaxing, yes, the, really? t- the tension and the tightness is is uh, part of the issue that the tension and the tightness and all the experiences that we've had in our lives, it's from all that stuff that all these thoughts and stuff gets propelled and gets the propulsion. So the issue is how to, how to relax and let go. Right, right. And when you let go, you're not in that moment, you're not saying, wow, I just let go. Yeah. That's not letting go. Yes. Right. Yes. That's more mind self-judging, self-evaluating, pos- positioning ourselves in the world. Yeah, I'm here and I just let go. Wow, that's really great. I'm really cool. I can <laughs> do this. This is fantastic. You know, then yeah. you go bang yourself on a wall or something, you know. <laughs> so so when a kid is playing, man, a kid doesn't think, wow, I'm really playing. This is fantastic. Yes. No, yeah. they just play. And that's takes a tremendous amount of courage right, right.
5: to right.
1: let go because we want to hold on to ourselves. We want to hold on to our, not only our stuff, but our sense of who we are. I'm mm. somebody who's suffered a lot. I've gone through a lot. I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to be... Okay, now let go and do yeah, it.
3: Yeah, 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 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah.
1: So you have to be kind to yourself. It's so hard for us to do. So true.
2: So true. Thank you, Katie. So, thank you. Thank you, brother.
1: Good to see you. And you, you too. Take good my care. Mate. Yeah. Keep All strength, the best bro. to you.
2: Thank you, mate. Okay. First, I
1: wanted
3: to start out by saying thank you. When I found your Om Namaha Shivaya, it had given me keys that like, I had been like looking for. And the chanting comes so naturally. I like when you talk about remembering. Because it was there all along. But I wanted to ask you, so thank you very much. I wanted to ask you if you would talk about Krishna consciousness.
1: In what respect?
3: Just, um, you know, I... Chanti, Krishna chant every morning, and mm-hmm. Krishna consciousness to me is sitting in that place of connecting with the source. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to, I know you said you don't follow the religious rules or aspects of organized religion. So I was wondering what you mm-hmm. thought about Christ, Christ, Krishna consciousness as it's you mean ISKCON,
1: international... You're talking about specifically ISKCON, you know,
3: the not Heart of the Krishna movement? itself, ju- just like, because I don't want to join an organizational movement, but that's that good. devotion to Krishna is yeah. what I'm looking for. So that's not, the Krishna consciousness is only that organization?
1: Well, no, that's what they call themselves. Krishna consciousness means awareness of God. There's, right. It doesn't have... If, You can't. No, no organization can own that,
3: (laughs) right? And that's why, because I'm loth to join any organizations. And I was doing some research on it, and I wasn't sure. uh,
1: No, I would definitely trust your heart. Trust your heart about it all. Don't you don't. That's what we need to do: learn to trust our hearts. There are. Krishna consciousness is a lineage that comes from the Vaishnava tradition, of a great line of gurus that go back to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the past, who was a great, one of the greatest saints that ever lived. If you're attracted to that line of teaching, then you can join that. If you're not, then you don't have to. It's up to you. It's not, uh, nobody, uh, nobody can give you what you already have. Different teachings can help, help us learn how to look and learn how to teach us how to find that in a more uh in a way that's more useful to us but i personally i don't feel any need to join any organization my own guru never had an organization he never asked us to join anything uh, he never started a movement he didn't even have a successor officially he just walked off the off the stage and that was that but his presence is Always with us anyway. So that's just one way of doing things and this is another way of doing things. So it's all yeah, you have to be you. You can't don't force yourself into a mold that you think you have to do something. Why would you do
3: that? It was more looking for like community. And that's why I came here today to have these because you know, I started teaching myself Sanskrit, actually from doing the the songs and the chanting and writing the words. And you know, but you know, going to temples, I'm not always, cause I've looked into some of the temples around here. And, but where, I'm where not- Where's around
1: here? Where, where are I'm you? I'm in
3: South Florida. In South, South Florida. Florida by yeah, okay, Fort Lauderdale. Fine, yeah. uh-huh. And, but it didn't, I don't know all the customs. I don't know all the rules. I'm not really great with rules. <laughs> so yeah. I, you know, I'm just looking for like-minded individuals to have conversations with and grow. That's why. And yeah. then when I found Kurtan, it made me very happy.
1: Yeah. It's great to be able to sing with people, but it's very hard to find situations where you can just sing with people without being asked to, you know, sign your firstborn away and, or mortgage your, your life to to some kind of organization. I think you have to be patient. I think everything will come to you that you need. As, as you need it, in the meantime, follow your heart and do what you've been doing. When the universe feels that you should have some satsang, you'll have it. It'll show up. But I think it's better for you to try to, for all of us to, remain receptive rather than aggressive in our search for love. Being receptive is, is what will lead us to our, the love that lives inside of us being aggressive will just get us in trouble and make more karma. So of course, that's just my opinion. You ask somebody else who gets somebody else's opinion. So, but you see no, if it I, fits you, if it doesn't fine, if it does fine.
3: I like a lot of the things you said, uh, in your, uh, satsang, especially, uh, cleaning your heart mirror. Yeah.
1: Like the, that's what, that's what we can do. It doesn't involve joining any organization. And The names of god do not you do not need to be initiated in the names of god the names of god are available to all at all times and they don't have to be given to you by any lineage i'm kind of like groucho marx you know you remember groucho he used to say he said he didn't want to join any club that would actually let him in
3: Uh, that's about my speed. Yeah, yeah, I got it.
1: (laughs) And to me, that means that, you know, anything I can imagine uh, or project that I think would be good for me, for instance, even, that's just my own projection. It's not reality. So I don't want to be caught in my own projections. I want to find real love, not just follow my own projections. So the best thing to do is relax and be with yourself and allow, the, allow life to flow through you. And, and you'll never, you never know what will happen.
3: Thank you.
2: Hi, first of all, thanks from Germany for your work.
1: Aha, Germany, wonderful, thank you.
2: Uh, the thing is, you've literally just answered my question. I wanted to ask on, for you to talk about finding a guru, if it's something we, we can look for or, you know, the path will guide us. And I listened and I think I got my answer. So since I love listening to your stories, maybe you can um, talk a little bit about your, the beginnings of your own way.
1: Yeah. Well, first thing is to recognize that in reality, the guru is not outside of us. Because we identify with the body and the mind and the emotions, we're looking for love outside of ourselves. We feel it has to come from something else. we We can't tap into it ourselves. So we look for, we're looking, naturally we just look outside of ourselves and then we find a situation that makes us feel better about ourselves and we call that love. Somebody needs us, somebody wants us, somebody knows how to push the buttons to make us feel good and we call that love. But as Mr. Tuari used to point out to me, he said, you know, love is what lasts 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It's not something you'll get from someone, including a guru because a guru is not outside of us. Because we look through these kind of eyes and we see other bodies. Yes, we might think that the guru is that body, but it's really what's in that body. And what's in that body is not different than what's in this body, except what's in that body knows that. And we don't know that. So while a, when a guru is in a physical body, they can help us in that way. When they're not in a physical body, they can still help us, and they do help us, but not in the same way. And we don't even recognize it because we're not trained to recognize what happens within us uh, in the same way as we are trained to decipher all the sense input that we get from the outside, the so-called outside world. So, where are you going to go to look for a guru? You know. When Maharaji left the body and I was completely out of my mind running through the jungles of India looking for him because I knew that he had actually not, that he had actually dropped one body and taken another and that he's still in a body somewhere. There's no question about it. So I wanted to find that. And I would go and I would meet these sadhus in the jungle and I would say, I'm looking for my guru. Where is he? They look at me like I was crazy and say, your guru, he's looking outside of your, he's looking out of your eyes right now. But we don't see what's looking out of our eyes, do We, we only see what our eyes see, but not the seeing. And that's, the seeing is called sat ananda truth, consciousness, or awareness, and joy, love, bliss. So, a guru is whatever it brings us into ourselves. And we may crave that interaction with the physical being and, or the physical manifestation of a guru. But if it's not there, what are we going to do? Watch TV for the rest of our life? That's one option. But the other option is to do a little practice and deal with the shit that's making you think the guru is outside of you, which is our own self-hatred and our own self-loathing and, and all the hurt and the pain that we carry in ourselves, which re- prevent us from sitting deeply in our own hearts. So let's do the work that we have to do ourselves and not get caught in wishful thinking, which, can never, which we have no control over. The past is gone, the future is not here, now is what we have. And it's now, now, and it's now, now. And now it's now, and next week, when you say "What time is it it 's now. so this is what we have to deal with, and there's no sense blaming the universe for not sending us a guru in a physical body and there are so many people who, like myself, later after Maharraja, who were attracted to beings who are only too to too ready to control and, and manipulate us to get so they could get what they wanted. And, and so we got what we wanted. It was another business deal. But Maharaja didn't do business. He didn't manipulate. He didn't need us around. His, he used to say, my mantra is go away, you know, <laughs> because he's everywhere. Where can you go where he's not? So this is a real guru is like that. So, These people who are out there claiming to be gurus, 99.9% of them are fakes. And at best they're just deluded and at worst they're vicious. So don't look for something outside of yourself. If you trip and fall into it, well, there you go. But in the meantime, be where you are and, and work on your stuff and try to heal the pain and the hurts that prevent us from allowing our hearts to open. That's what we have. That's what we can do. More than that, we can't do. So, once we clean our hearts and make ourselves makes that make that mirror shine, that mirror clean, that mirror that is our hearts. Then, what's reflected everywhere is the beauty that's in there. So that that's what we can do. Uh, what we can't do is control the rest of the universe. You know so. Might as well stop trying. That's all I got to say.
2: Thanks for the reminder. And one thing more I love your humor. Thanks for that too.
1: Thank you. You need it. If you're me, you need to be able to laugh at yourself.
5: Oh, yeah, always.
1: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thank you. Nice to meet you. So
5: good to see you all. Thank you for putting up. together, these chat chats, they have been very helpful and sort of a sangha feeling on the distance. For sure.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah.
5: I was, I wanted to give thanks uh, for your advices on this text that sometimes you talk about, especially lately I've been reading Tulsi Das and mm-hmm. actually found a copy of the Ramcharitmanas Manas in Spanish really wow <laughs> fantastic and just want to share a, a short story about how i got into the chalisa how, how was the first time i listened to you because it it actually is related with Tulsidas one way or another one so recently i read a blog from jay sutal of a poem called hanumana bahuka and in that post he talks that Tulsidas used to had a cancer-like illness in his arm and when he was about to die in Benares and what happened to me is I was very rejective to yoga and to kirtan and mantras. I didn't like it at all and three years ago, uh, months ago after my mom passed away, I was passing through a lot of not just inner pain but a lot of repercussions on my body and then Suddenly, I started having a hole in my hand, like here in my arm, like a big hole start growing. And then I didn't pay attention. I thought it was just like an infection. But then I went to the jungle and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Up to the day in December of 2017, when it was so big that I needed to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I went there. And this woman tells me, oh, that's leishmania. It's, it's yeah. an incurable disease. Yeah each you inside mm-hmm. and I was freaked out I mean it does any cure so I was sort of lost I tried to find the uh, plant medicines and everything and and I was so deep in this duka Lukata into this real sort of dark night of the soul of my life and certain moment I just gave up so I was having this too like deep illnesses at the same time. And that night I was feeling so uncomfortable in my own skin, I was laid down on bed. And then I, uh, there was a, a playlist of relaxing music playing on Spotify. And suddenly I heard for the first time the Hanuman Chalisa, and it was actually the Sundara Chalisa. And for 20 seconds, I had a very short, near that experience where Something, somehow, somewhere, pulled me out of my body. And I was able to see my suffering body. And something just let me saw that I was not that suffering, that I was passing through that, but it was not my illness. And then suddenly I came back and and I just kept breathing and the pain still there. Everything was as fucked up as before, but Mm -hmm. the mantra was playing. So Mm -hmm. I let it play for about three days, just day and night, day and night, day and night. And on the third day, somebody called me and offered me a medicine that actually helped me heal the uh-huh. lashmani, indigenous medicine. But the peculiar part here was that when I went out of the ceremony, the healer looked to me and he said, whatever you're doing, whatever you have been reciting, just keep doing it and stay mm-hmm. alone for 30 days. Oh, wow. So, actually that was the first time when I started looking at your webpage and reading more about Ramdas, and then I got to uh, Ninkar Ali Papa. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Uh, so I just wanted to share this story because the mantra has been there all of this time uh, daily. And in the last Chai and chat, I asked you about the Sri Bajarangban, and you shared mm-hmm. a word about the bija mantra could you explain a little bit more on what is it and how how does that work yeah
1: i'm i'm not an expert on that kind of stuff but bija means seed and those seed mantras are powerful sounds that have a tremendous amount of power to cut through everything like hum is one like mm. om mani hum om the jewel in the lotus of the heart, <clears throat> brings mm. it right, right there. So those kind of mantras and in the bhadrangban, there's a number of seed syllables like that, seed mantras, and they need to be pronounced fairly mm-hmm. correctly. They shouldn't be mispronounced. Not that I, I think it's not going to hurt anybody much, but it certainly won't help that much. But that being said, it's a little bit difficult to get the right pronunciation of them, but the idea is that they're powerful and they can, and they're all in the Jirangban, all those beach mantras refer to Hanumanji. They're all about Hanuman, who's all about helping us anyway. So, you know, like there's, it's like that. And the, they say that sadhus in the jungle will repeat that bhajaranban when they get scared, like with those wild animals around or demons or negative forces. They, it's good at dissipating those negative forces. And it's something I do every day because Siddhima asked me to do it every day.
5: And Can you, can you talk a little bit about the connection between, you have talked several times about the Kala Chakra Tantra and Hanuman mm-hmm. on the Buddhist part and i've been i've been feeling very um curious about it because sometime i was like pushing away kirtan and mantras because i started moving forward in certain buddhist practices so i was confused you know like taism, non taism, this and that but then you told that story and that sort of like heart held me a little bit yeah yeah
1: it's all the same more or less all these different paths lead to the same goal which is our own nature, Buddha nature, God, mm-hmm. and you could call it, whatever you want to call it, you call it. And and Mahayana and Vajrayana Buddhism is nothing but mantra. I mean, mantra and awareness practice. Om Mahum Guru Pemizade Hum, Om Mantra, there's all mantras and they those mantras are, you get usually empowered by uh, your Lama, give them special strength for you. Uh, not Omanipamehum, but, the, but the, there's all more esoteric mantras. But, you know, uh, the Kala Chakra Tantra is a very, 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 very powerful practice. It's a worldview where the continual rising of negative forces is, oh, is continually destroyed by the positive forces. Age after age. You know, the, the, the darkness arises because we're also full of ourselves and selfish and hurtful and aggressive and nasty and all that. And that mm-hmm. builds up and builds up. And then the positive energy flows and destroys that negativity. And then we start again getting stupid. So it's it's the same story in the Ramayana and mm-hmm. it's, that's still told in the color chakra. The, the, the demonic forces get strong, powerful and decide that they're going to try to destroy the kingdom of Shambhala, which is the holy land or the holy sacred realm. And so that the king of Shambhala, who is actually analogous to the next Buddha, Maitreya Buddha, which is also analogous to the next avatar, the, the Kalki avatar, which is also analogous to the Siddha of Siddhapur, the, the, the land of the Siddhas. It's like, like this. So they gather their forces and then the army of, the, of the, the good guys goes out and destroys the army of the bad guys. And the two generals are Shiva and Hanuman. Mm. And then the, the king of Shambhala, who's the same as Ram and Krishna and all the other avatars goes out and fights with the demon who's the same as Ravana and destroys the demon and liberates the world from the, the demonic energy. Same story over and over and over, age after age, cycle after cycle. Um, now, you gotta recognize who's telling you the story, me, some schmuck from New York. If you spoke to some Lama, he may tell it to you differently, but, My understanding is what I've told you, and I found that in a book about the color chakra that was that with the preface was written by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. So it can't be wrong, but it might not be quite as accented or emphasized the way I'm emphasizing it. But it said Rudra and Hanuman were the two generals. And the other thing that that first of all Maharaj always went sub ek, all one. Many names, many paths, all lead to the same goal. And he, he was recognized by many lamas as being uh, a bodhisattva, you know, an enlightened being. You can be confused by it all, or you can just say, okay, I can't understand it all, but it looks pretty good. I think I'll just go this way. Yeah, and uh, not worry about it.
5: I think I'm on that side. Just let it.
1: Yeah, to surrender that's to it. That's a, it's the easier side to be on, I think.
5: I heard Daniel Goleman in a podcast saying that His His Holiness the Karmapa maybe never met Nim Karoli, but there was another Lama who visited there, and he, he was said as a Mahasiddha, You know. Yeah. There's no- yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, both enjoyed the actually- recording. At the, the, his, the previous Karmapa I never met Maharaji, the 16th Karmapa, but he knew of Maharaji. And when he saw his picture, he said, Bodhisattva, mm. Bodhisattva. He said, the teachings of all Bodhisattvas are the same, even if they appear different. Mm-hmm. And then he pointed to his altar and he said, you see those statues there? Those are the Mahasiddhas. And he pointed to Maharaji, and said, Mahasiddha, Mahasiddha, mm-hmm. like that. So. And then he offered to give my friend, Larry, brilliant, and his wife, Girja, give refuge to them, which is a great honor that the Karmapa would offer that. So the, the next day, there was a ceremony organized on the roof of the temple in um, Sikkim, I think. And all of a sudden, Larry got nervous, and he said to the Karmapa, he said, your holiness, do I have to give up my guru to take refuge uh, with, with you? And the karma said, no, he said, I'm going to offer you refuge in your guru, the way I offer refuge in the Buddha. Mm. I'm going to offer you refuge in your work, the medical where he was in the process of destroying smallpox. In your work, as same as I offer refuge in the Dharma, I'm going to offer you refuge in your satsang, in your, the devotees of Maharaji, in the same way as I refuge, I offer refuge in the Sangha. So next, what are you gonna worry about now? You know, the the Karmapa was one of the greatest saints that ever lived Mm. and he saw it all from a place of clarity. So let people argue that they can do what they do, but these things happen, just like I I said.
5: Thank you, gracias.
1: Yeah, be well. I'm very happy you're, you're feeling good.
4: Thanks for taking my question which I'm going to attempt to formulate here. So I have been on a journey that has included a lot of physical symptoms and chronic illness, pain, and autoimmune conditions. And so it set me off on this path a number of years ago of seeking to find answers, which has led me down a completely different path than I probably would have intended or thought that I was going to go down. And so it kind of felt like one door after another continued to open. And I have made gains as far as improvement in my health and symptoms. But there was kind of always and continues to be pieces, which I suppose this is just humans being human, right? There's it's going to always open to something else that we have to face or kind of figure and so this year I asked the question. I figured okay, I'm still having physical, you know, pain that I I'm, I'm not able to to manage and like what's the underlying cause? Like why am I continuing to have pain? And so I f- I came to the idea that there could be something hidden like in my body, like emotionally, like trauma or it kind of opened that door to like childhood, inner child work, shadow work, that kind of thing. And so I didn't really know where that was going to take me, but recently something happened and it kind of opened my eyes and I realized that it was a part of the answer to my ask, so to speak. And so I was shown that I have been a part of a cycle of abuse for i would say about 30 years. I think, you know, there's a part of me that always knew that that was there, but it became very apparent and actually something came out of me. I lashed out in such a way that was uncharacteristic for me and was actually really frightening to see that I lashed out at this person who the abuse had been coming from from all- for all of these years. And so that person's my stepfather and he's with my mother and my mother has been my best friend and I am her pretty much like number one confidant and have been very, very loyal to her. My stepfather's a narcissist. And so there's been a lot of me accommodating and people pleasing. And so that kind of stuff's been going on in my life for a really long time. And so I have actually since separated myself from them and that's a, a different reality for me to be in because my mom's usually a part of my daily life. And so I'm kind of in this spot where I'm attempting to be with and kind of understand, but also I, I don't really know what it is, you know, that, it, that I'm attempting to understand And we're kind of talking about cleaning our hearts and like doing the work and like working with the hurt and the pain. And that's kind of the spot that I'm at right now. And I'm kind of like, hmm. I mean, I assume that what's going to happen is I'm just going to like relax into that and accept that that's my spot right now and that doors will open and people will come and. You know, I do, I listen to chants every day and I chant every day. And that's absolutely like probably the most therapeutic, like amazing outlet for me currently. But, you know, I had always kind of done this stuff, which it's the human condition. I think most of us can relate to like getting in my own way constantly, like living with fear-based thoughts, like kind of chopping myself apart and down and not really living up to my potential. And I kind of always was like, what is going on? Like, what is the underlying, you know? And so that's kind of where I've been. And the seeking has continued to bring me, you know, little by little more and more answers. It's a very like ebb and flow kind of a situation, which I think is obviously the human condition too. Like when you talk about like being in, sync with like your guru or like in that spot where you're vibing high and feeling good versus you know that human spot where everything feels like shit and you can't even quite you know like access that in the moment so I guess I'm just kind of at that spot where like I'm wondering if you have any insights about first off like anything that I said and then second like that cleaning the heart and like You know, getting to that spot where we are, like, cleaning up the mess. Like, like, I'd love, like, any kind of insight that you might have to share about that.
1: Well, the way things are in this moment is the result of the past. The past can't be changed. It already happened. And the future is not here yet. So what we have is now. And everything that's in us, all the the betrayals, all the hurt, all the pain, all the anger that's sitting in there. Uh, a lot of it is uh, unconscious and underneath the radar, and we can only see it. Like you say, when you lash out, they say, well, "Where did that come from?" You know, and it came from me. You know, a part of me that I wasn't aware of. And you know, the thing you say about your mother she's made her choice to be with this guy. And she continues every day to make that choice. She sure does. And that has to be very painful for you to live with because, so that's very difficult to deal with. and, And it throws you back on yourself and you can't help but feel alone. And no matter how much your mother loves you and cares for you, She still made these choices that have created uh, a lot of pain for you in your life. So she's complicit in the situation and you have to kind of recognize that. And that's very painful. However, that's okay, you're still here. There are a lot of people who you can't say that about in a similar situation, there's so much They've been so damaged and so hurt that they're just in orbit out past, past Pluto and they ain't coming back this, you know. But you're here and that's fantastic. And it may not be very pleasant or comfortable, but it's amazing actually, if you really think about it. And that's a testament to your depth, which you may not even be aware of, but it's, The fact is that that it's here, you're here. And it's that basic being here with it and not having been destroyed by it, it's in that being here with it that liberating yourself from it will come. Just the fact that you're here because it means that's the part of you that's not at all caught up in all the reaction and and the emotionality. That's, you're just here. So that's your real strength, that's your anchor. Now, it's very hard to focus on that from where we are in our daily lives. That's where the chanting comes in. Mm -hmm. The chanting automatically separates us somewhat from the flow of thoughts and emotions. It's not gonna be like one button you push and then ah, free. No, it's gonna be a getting used to the fact that the chanting allows you to let go of stuff and just be. It's what we add to our lives to come back to. So the more we get comfortable with that, which in some ways means the more kind we are to ourselves, and allow ourselves to let go again and again and again. The more that will function, the more at ease we get in that space of not being, of not being uh, glued to the negative emotions. So it's not like you have to force yourself to do anything. You just have to allow yourself to be present as much as you can every day, and. Do some cultivation work, do, like you do the chanting. You say you chanting, nothing could be better. That's great. And if you want help in extricating yourself on a conceptual level, then do some counseling and therapy. But the strength to let go comes from the chanting. But it is useful sometimes to explore the all the memories and the stuff on that level itself because as you become aware of things that's when you can let go when you're unaware you can't let go Mm -hmm. you're caught and identified so whatever you're doing sounds like it's really good then you should just keep going and give yourself a break and uh it won't always be like this it won't always be such a struggle you will as you feel more at ease in yourself and allow yourself to be more at ease in life, your choices will change too. where you spend your time. Just automatically, you don't have to change them. Different things will appeal to you that never appealed to you before because you were too much focused over here on this. But as that widens, you know, you oh, why don't I do that? And then, Those are the things that would be more positive in terms of releasing the negative energy. And so, you know, and as you become more compassionate to yourself and as we become more compassionate to ourselves, we become more compassionate to others because we see how fucking hard it is to to deal with this shit. And then we see the people who in some ways were the the conspirators that we absorb this from we see, wow if it's so hard for me how much how much they be suffering even if they don't know it how much fear they must have how much anger how much shame and how much guilt i mean they they're, they're completely inundated with it they're not going to be able to free themselves of it and that yeah. no, that just naturally makes us allows compassion to arise, not idiot compassion, not like, oh, I want to help them. No, that, that's not going to happen. You're going to help them by freeing yourself. And then whatever happens, happens with them, without them, in relationship to them. But the freer you are and the more at ease with yourself as a being who who is engaged in this daily longing to be free of suffering that's going to help everybody around you without you even trying so whatever you have to do whatever your heart leads you to do to work with this stuff just go for it give it a hundred percent
4: thank you and it's it's all good we actually have already started some of that phase that you were kind of talking about where like I, I do feel like I'm in a bit of that spot where I'm letting go and surrendering and also just being receptive to and open to the things that feel good so like I do meditate regularly which is something that I started a couple of months ago and so to me that's really big like I used to get in my way like I wouldn't do the things that I knew would get me to the next spot or the next level. And so I actually had to get firm with myself and say, look, you know, that you're asking, you're seeking and you keep getting these answers, you're keep getting these clues, like these pings of intuition and whatnot. And I would, I was ignoring them. And so I, Mm -hmm. I got to this spot where I was like, okay, well, in order to get to the next level, you have to have some discipline. Like you have to kind of just allow yourself to have the space to actually learn and grow. And so by actually making that a daily practice, aha, like, you know, then it opened up the door to other spots where it was like, okay, well, you know, listen to chanting every day because you know that you live and breathe, like when you're doing that and then, you know, like open yourself up to art and things like that. So it's, you know, amazing to me just to like, once you actually, I made the commitment to myself and that commitment has started to open like many other doors that do feel good and therapeutic. There's this other spot when you were talking about, you know, like once I have this compassion for myself or, you know, us as humans, we're figuring out the compassion piece, like how we're able to have compassion for others. It's a little bit of a slippery slope for me in terms of the fact that like, I'm also thinking about my parents and like, I've always been the one that's been there for them. And I've always excused the behavior and, you know, I have been, betrayed, you know, even by my mom, like openly betrayed by her. And she, you know, continuously like talks about like, well, what if, what would it be like if she did something else? And so she gets my hopes up that she's going to, you know, leave the situation. And now I'm kind of to this spot where I'm like, I'm fed up, you know, it's been so long and I'm fed up and I'm like, okay, I'm, I just, but it's also hard because obviously, because it's like, you know, she's like my person, I'm her person. And I think to myself, God, life is so short. And so you know, what is the outcome that I want? And the, I guess that's the question that I don't have the answer to yet. I don't know what the outcome is that I want. I know I have to be patient because it's, you know, a new development, but it's also like, do I extend compassion? You know, do I, I think about, I know that obviously this stuff comes from his, you know, upbringing, his childhood, the, the, the person that raised him, yada, 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 yada down the line. Yeah. So it's like, but there's a part of me is it's like, it's so strange. It's like, we're walking this line between boundaries and like, yeah having compassion and like, you know, ex- it makes me feel like it's excusing the behavior, which I've obviously done. I've I've allowed that yeah. to, to play out for all of these years. It's just this precarious spot where it's like, well, where am I now? But I know that nobody can really answer that for me, except yeah, well, for me. And I don't have the answer yet.
1: Yeah. Well, you, well, you do have the answer, but it's confusing. You know, my friend Sylvia Bornstein, a meditation teacher said, you can throw somebody out of your life, but you don't have to throw them out of your heart. You can have a boundary, but you don't have to hate them. The hate is your problem. The anger is your, is your work on yourself, but that doesn't mean you have to allow them to trample over you over and over again. You can, so, and compassion isn't something you do either. The more you understand your own situation and feel your own, it'll, that'll expand. It won't mean that you open up yourself for more abuse. It just means you can understand it, and in understanding it, the edge is taken off of it. the 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 the, the um You can still say, "Oh, that really sucks," but at the other and the other, and you can you can not allow it to happen anymore. But it you recognize what it is and. Compassion doesn't mean opening yourself to more abuse. Not at all. In fact, compassion, when you're truly compassionate, it means you overcome any selfish uh, desires, like feeling a certain way, even. So there's no you anymore. There's no me anymore. There's only presence. And real compassion means just allowing other people to be who they are that includes you you have to allow yourself to be who you are and that is somebody who will not be trampled anymore but it's not something you have to do once you recognize what's going on you're no longer a victim of it you've been victimized but when you recognize what's going on and you see it clearly then it doesn't it's not the same it's just So not even the same.
4: when you're in the presence of these people like it it changes. I assume, see, I haven't been back since this, this occurred. And so I am kind of assuming that that's what you mean, that like, if I were in his presence again, that perhaps I would feel differently just with this new awareness.
1: Well, at some point, maybe not right away. I mean, these things, these are deep things, you know, I mean, we have so many conflicting emotions, you know, as victims of abuse, or not, uh, let's not as targets of abuse we've already made we've already given up our we've given up our sense of right and wrong almost and we've allowed the abuse to make us feel guilty mhm so we've already sold ourselves out you know they say the lesson of betrayal is trust the lesson that we learn from being betr- betrayed by the outside world and by other people is we eventually we learn to trust ourselves Mm. It's a very fierce teaching. By the fact and we're always betrayed by the outside world because it'll never give us what we want ever. Really, we can never find the love we're looking for out there. We can find some kind of affection, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but the real love is who we are and that's with us all the time. And but when we've been weakened by m- having been made to feel as if we deserve this abuse in a way, because when you're young, you can't, you take it on to yourself and you're not conscious of that. So it, it goes in pretty deep.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So don't worry about being compassionate now and don't throw yourself back into the fire if you're going to get burnt. There's no reason to do that to yourself. Develop a relationship with them, whatever it is that doesn't compromise what you want. Whether it means not talking to them, whether it means not going, it's okay, take time off. Let it rest, let it settle. There's no compulsion for you to to solve this situation. It's not yours to solve, it's yours to be you and start to feel good about yourself and and let that blossom. So here's a little poem from Rumi. Burning with longing fire, Waiting, wanting to sleep with my head on your door sill. My living is composed only of this trying to be in your presence. I've lived on the lip of insanity, wanting to know reasons, knocking on the door It opens. I've been knocking from the inside. We're looking out there, but we're really already inside. And this is where we live inside ourselves. This is where everything is. And, but because we've needed attention and kindness and caring and physical uh, help to exist, we've had to sell ourselves to get that stuff. And we've had to deny ourselves in order not to confront difficult situations, painful situations. So we've got a lot of habits already of, act, of, of behavior that have been really hurting ourselves. So just get easy, relax, take it easy. Let go, take it easy. Don't force yourself to do anything that doesn't feel comfortable to you. There's no reason. Why would you do that? You don't have it's not your job to run the world and to change other people. Your job is to be you. So be the best you you can, the most open, complete. Just be who you are. Find out what that means also. And and you you don't you you should feel good about the amount of presence you have and, and and the way you've been dealing with this already has been really great and just keep going that's all that you have to do
4: listen Thank to you your so heart much for your time listen and attention to your heart Aww.
1: listen to your heart that's all you have to do okay
4: namaste
1: namaste. it's good to be with everybody and let's also recognize that the situation now in the world makes all this stuff it's like shooting it up with steroids it just makes it more powerful more difficult to deal with more anxiety more more intensity because we're locked up with our minds and our stuff in a way it's unprecedented in the history of the world as far as we can tell so be easy, take it easy, be kind. To, let's be kind to ourselves as best we can. Uh, not to cause more suffering to ourselves. It's hard enough. Let's just give ourselves space and be present as best we can. Be with the stuff and try to untangle all the reactions that we have to everything all day long by just letting ourselves calm down a little bit every day. Whenever you think of it, just take a couple of breaths and let go. You're washing dishes, take a breath and let go. You're watching TV, take a breath in the commercials. If there's no commercials, just pause the thing, take a breath and then start again. Just practice letting go, practice just letting go. That's so important. It's really a big thing. Okay, so good to be with you again and I'll see you soon.
0: Thank you so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Kirtan Mala Foundation. Krishnadas is renowned for leading Kirtan, the spiritual practice of chanting, and workshops around the world. For more information about him, including upcoming events, please visit krishnadas.com K-R-I-S-H-N-A-D-A-S Com. We also invite you to visit kirtanwalafoundation.org k-i-r-t-a-n-w-a-l-l-a-h foundation.org Here you will find more offerings dedicated to spreading the teachings of Nim Karoli Baba. Love everyone, serve everyone. Remember God. Ram Ram